Hey, welcome to our God and Money series. My name is Josh, I'm one of the pastors at Branch Life, and this series is designed to answer the question, how do you get really, really rich? Of course, true riches do not come from the amount of money in our bank account, but it comes from God, and God tells us a lot about how to handle money in a way that's super freeing. This series will be an encouragement to you, so we hope you'll stick around through it and check out the other episodes. Before you log off, make sure to fill out your connection card. Let us know that you've been a part of this series in some way, and you can do that anytime at branchlife.church. Thanks for joining us, and enjoy the series. Hey, I'm so glad that you guys have joined us this morning for the launch of a brand new four-week series that we're calling God and Money. The question we're trying to answer together is, uh, does God really want us to be really, really rich? And we're going to dive into that over the next four weeks. You're not going to want to miss a week. We'll explain what is coming up. Also, this is a great opportunity to bring a friend and help them connect as we practically look at what should we be doing with your money. I don't know about you, but if you've put a lot of thought into money, if you put a lot of thought into finances, if you put a lot of thought into uh, financial planning or strategy, or if you're just kind of winging it as you go, it may depend on your stage of life where you're at. I don't know about you if money is stressful for you, if it's a topic that you enjoy talking about with your spouse, or maybe you have raised voices whenever it comes up. Uh, if it causes you stress, maybe you're just sitting here right now and there's already a tick in your eyebrow that's kind of going off because we're talking about money. Uh, is, this hopefully will be an encouraging series to you as we explore God's Word uh, on this topic. Now, just to start us off, let me give you a little bit of money trivia. Uh, does anybody know what year they discontinued every other bill above $100? 1969. The highest currency dollar bill that's out there that's being printed by uh, the U.S. Mint is the $100 bill. There's no $500 bills being made, no $1,000, no $10,000 bills, no million-dollar bills, which in my case would come in very handy, but uh, I, they're just not making them anymore. But if you have one of those, that would be kind of cool. It still counts as currency, kind of like the $2 bill, uh, but they're just not being printed anymore. So who is on the $500 bill? Why don't you check under your seats and uh, see if you can pull out a $500 bill. Wouldn't that be great if I actually stuck $500 under each of your chairs and you like pulled it out and you're like, oh my word, it's McKinley. McKinley's on the $500 bill, but they're not printing them anymore, sadly, so I couldn't put those on your chairs uh, today. Otherwise, I totally would have done that. Uh, it, if there was $500 under your seat today and you were holding on to it, here's the follow-up question that I have for you. What would you do with it? I mean, really, really, what would you do with it? Some of you are like, I'm taking that thing to the bank, and I'm getting it printed into ones, and I'm throwing it on my bed, and I'm rolling around in it. You know, that would be amazing, right? Okay, that's dirty money, but all right, go for it. Have a great time. Some of you would be like, I will take that to the bank, and it will be put into savings immediately. Others are like, dinner's on me. We're going to lunch, right? I'm going to spend it now, right? And or maybe I'm finally going to be able to pay that person back before they break my legs. You know, you got all these kind of things that are happening. Others of you, the analytical types, you're like, all right, 10% of it's going to go over here, and then there are 15% will go over here, and then, right? And we, we put it all into the categories, and you're going to, what would you do, seriously, with 500 bucks if it was given to you this morning? Totally out of the blue. Maybe for you, 500 is an is a, a easy question to answer. What if it was 5,000? What if it was 50,000? What if it was half a million dollars? That all of a sudden you just received, right? And, and now you're like, 
What if it was five million? Someone just gave you five million bucks. What would you do with it? Would you turn around to your neighbor and be like, dude, I'm rich. I just got five million bucks. I have now gone into the one percent category. I am the man and I am now rich. We're looking at a series called God and Money, and believe it or not, God has a lot to say about money, and we believe that when you look at what God says about money and what he says about wealth and what he says about riches is that God does want you to be really, really rich. However, money doesn't make you rich. God does. Now, there's a lot packed into that phrase, and this is the theme of the conversation that we're going to be having over the next four weeks. We're going to try to understand what this means, that money doesn't make you rich, God doesn't. Some of you have questions. Some of you are like, how do you define rich? What do you mean by that? Everyone looks at wealth and money and riches as intimately connected. There's a bunch of truths that are wrapped up into this that we're going to see over the next few weeks that are absolutely essential for us to understand. But one of them is richness comes from something else other than money. In other words, fulfillment. When you are rich, it's kind of another way of saying you're full of money. But you can also have a rich life. You can have a rich relationship. You can have a, a, a rich job that does not have anything to do with money. It just means you're fulfilled. You're full. You're, you have abundant life in that area. God wants you to have a rich life. God wants you to have rich relationships. God wants you to have abundant life. And he wants you to have it in spades. But money doesn't give you that. The second truth that's wrapped up in this is money does come from God. God is the giver of every good and perfect gift. God is the one who's instructing and supplying and providing for us. So when money does fall in our laps, that comes from God. Now, if that $500 that you got suddenly was handed to you by God himself, would that change the way that you would use it? If I did have $500 under your chair and I did a survey today and I actually handed out and I said, okay, what, what are you going to do with the $500? Just tell me. Don't put your name on it. Just anonymously tell me. I, I would probably put $500. I would, I would gamble it because that's a different series. I'd probably bet $500 that there would be a large number of you that would say, it was at church. I'm going to put it right in the, in the offering box. I bet you a lot of you would do that. And the reason you would do that is because it happened at church. And then you were thinking about it. If God showed up and actually said, here's five million bucks, would that change the way that you did it? As opposed to like winning it from the government. <laughs> I got it from the government. I got $500,000. I'm going to do something amazing. Right? So, so when we understand this truth, it transforms riches. God does have a lot to say about money. If there are 30,000 verses in the Bible... So if you would unpack the Bible, you would see that the Bible is one book of two testaments, Old and New Testament. Out of those, in those two testaments, there are 66 books of the Bible that make up that those testaments. In those 66 books, there are chapters and verses, right? There are 31,000 verses in the Bible. Out of those 31,000 verses in the Bible, 2,000 of them talk about money. That's the largest topic by number of verses in the Bible, as, opposed, as compared to love, talked about 800 times. That's a pretty spiritual thing, love, right? Prayer and faith combined are only mentioned 500 times in the entire Bible. God talks about money a lot. Now, to be fair, 
Food is also mentioned thousands of times in the Bible. Why does the money come up so much? It comes up so much because it's such an intimate part of our daily lives that when God is talking about love, when God is talking about faith, when God is talking about family, he often uses money as an example or an application of a greater truth. What is the greatest topic in the Bible? It's probably love. Love is probably the theme of the Bible, the kingdom of God, salvation, who God is. Those are some major, major things. And when we understand those things, it affects our money. But here's, here's what a great theologian said once. When we get, uh, we get saved, our hearts are given to God. The last thing to get saved is our wallets. We often have trouble putting our money where our mouth is, where our heart is. And so God teaches us about money because if we can handle money God's way, then we know we're all in. We're all into the faith that God provides. So we're looking at a series called God and Money, and all along the way, I'm going to be providing you very practical resources where you, your family, your group, your, your, um, your accountability partners, whatever, can go a little bit farther. Now, whenever I provide resources, I always want to kind of make a point or an illustration. We often will look at the experts, and we'll read the expert stuff, and we'll, we'll stack up our books, and then, then we'll read the Bible, right? And we'll say, these experts have the, what they know, and I'm going to take that, and I'm going to take that, and I'm going to take, oh, by the way, I'm going to look at the Bible. Let me always encourage you, no matter what the topic, start with the Bible, have that be your main source of expertise, and then read all the other resources through the lens of God's Word. What I'm providing for you today and what we'll be providing over the course of the series are resources that I believe do that. They first take the, the Bible into account and then they build for us practical, helpful things uh, that we can use in our everyday lives. This series that we are teaching on mainly is inspired by the book God and Money. Uh, it's a series of the same name. So if you want to invest in one resource, this would be the one I would recommend you go to Amazon today, buy, get it by Tuesday with Amazon Prime, and then uh, have it start reading it. You're going to see that our outline, our discussion is guided by this resource. Some of the other resources are going to come up later in the service. We are going to look in th at four weeks in four different categories. Today, we're looking at God and money in the Old Testament. So we're going to survey the Old Testament and see what God has. It's going to build for us that foundation. Next week, we're going to look at God and money in the New Testament. The following week, on week three, we're going to look at God and money today. What do I do with money today in 2022? How do I take the foundations from the Old Testament and the New Testament, and how do I apply them to my finances today? And in week four, we're going to look at God's plan for money or God and money for tomorrow. Where, where, where should I go? Where should I end up? What's the long-term idea for money, even with eternity in mind? You may be asking yourself some of these questions. These are the questions we're going to tackle over the course of the series. Does more blessing from God mean more money? In other words, if I have a greater number in my bank account, does that mean God favors me? And here's, here's the short answer to that. No matter how much is in your bank account, how much or how little, you still are blessed by God. It, it, doesn't God ask us to manage our money wisely? He does. So, so then how do we do that? How are you making, are you making common money mistakes? There's some mistakes that probably most of us are making or have made that, that we could just correct now and it would make a big difference. Have you created long-term workable financial goals? Does money stress you out? It doesn't have to. And are you applying biblical principles to your money 
management. To start, we've got to see where we're at. So I'm going to ask you during the series, you probably should bring a pen and paper. If you didn't bring one, I apologize. You can fill it out on one of those little connection cards to take it home with you. But we're going to start off by identifying what financial stage you're in. Now, one of the financial money men named Ron Blue, he wrote Master Your Money. He put these categories in his book. Uh, And all of us fall into these categories. And and let's just go through them and see where you're at, what financial category you fall in right now. You want to identify this for yourself. The first financial category is the category of those who are struggling. The category of those who are struggling. If you're in the struggling category, that means somehow, someway, you are spending more money than is coming in. That's the kind of blueprint of someone who's struggling. You don't have enough money to cover your present bills. You don't have enough money to pay for your current needs. And so you fall into the struggling category. There is not enough there. All of us fall into the struggling category at some point. Enter babies, toddlers, and teenagers. You babies, toddlers, and teenagers, you guys cost way more money than you bring in. You guys are spending more money uh, for your families than they they are desperately trying to keep. You do not carry your financial weight. I was just talking to some young parents, and they were, they were, you know, in the family planning stage, and that thing comes up, and you're my age, you start asking, like, when are you going to have kids? And they go, well, we really can't afford that right now. My knee-jerk response was, you never can. Like, you never can. Like, they will ca- just have the kid now, and, and, and just figure out the rest, because they are always going to be more, cost more than they bring in. Now, I'm hoping Delaney and Will become like doctors or lawyers or something incredible someday because maybe I'll turn back and write, you know how much you cost me growing up, you owe me. Don't forget the little guys on your way to the rise of your financial freedom, right? We hope that maybe in the long run, these kids will be a good investment, but don't bank on it. So teenager, chances are you are depending on your parents to sleep, to eat, to get places, to have an education, to get the toys and the video games that you want, and you are not saying thank you enough. This costs money, and they're giving it to you freely. You have a free ride. You basically got 500 bucks to come to church today, kids. That's what happened to get you here. The clothes that you're wearing, the car that you're in, the meal that you had, the bed that you slept in, you are struggling. That's your financial category. So teenager, where are you at? You are not bringing more money in than you are costing. Now some of us as young people, we stayed in this category, we went to college, we got into debt, we got married, and just the bills were overwhelming. My first job out of college, which I had when I got married, I was bringing in a grand total of $18,000 a year. My dad hired me and saw a lot in me that was worth investing at the church. I was a junior high youth pastor uh, during those three years, and that was my salary. That is what we brought in. We fell into this category of struggling. It's hard. It's hard to live on $18,000 a year and be married. And, and thanks, Dad. Now, surviving. <laughs> The next category is the category of someone who is surviving. That's someone who is living probably paycheck to paycheck. 
In other words, you are relying on the next paycheck to come in so that you can keep current, so that you can pay the bills, so that you don't lose the car, so that you don't lose the house, and you are surviving. You're kind of making it from month to month, from paycheck to paycheck, year to year. You're not necessarily building wealth. You're not necessarily being able to invest. You are scraping, and you are getting by. The next category is the category of someone who's stable. This is someone who's able, or a family that's able to meet their bills, and they're starting to save some. They're able to put a little bit away, whether it's emergency fund or whether they're building their savings. But if you live in the stable category long enough, you realize that you feel like, I may have some in my savings, but there it goes. Something came up in it, and I'm, now I have to start paying it back. And I'm trying to get, to get there, and there's all this constant kind of back and forth. That's, that's the stable person, but barring one large sickness, emergency disaster, you fall right back down into struggling. The secure is someone who has paid off debt, who is paying their bills, who is putting money into savings, actually probably also investing and is paying down significantly on their mortgage. The secure person in an economic downturn is probably going to be okay for a while. They're, they're going to survive it. They're secure. They're not one disaster away from financial ruin. In the COVID pandemic, we saw the difference between stable and secure. Some people were trying to travel through the pan pandemic in a lifeboat, and they were barely holding on financials. Other people had a yacht. It was hard, but they had a kind of a more secure vessel to ride the storm out in. And then there is the surplus. These are people that have plenty. In other words, they have extra. And when it comes to surplus, the question is, how much is too much? And there are people who are living with too much money. They're, they're spending way more than they need to spend on themselves. And there is a very spiritual and important question to ask yourself, when is enough enough? When I'm more than secure, when I'm living a luxurious lifestyle, not, not calling it sin, but what is too much, all right? W what could I be doing if God would give me the ability to be in the category of surplus. Now, here's, here's the, the, what you want to do today. You want to talk to your family. You want to talk to your spouse. You want to write down on your notes what category you fall in. Where do you land? Where are you today? Are you struggling? Are you surviving? Are you stable? Are you secure? Are you in surplus? Now, here's, here's the question we all naturally ask. How do I get to the next level? How do I change my financial status? The answer is not, hear me on this, more money. The answer is not more money. So many of us believe the lie that if I had more money, I could change my financial station. And by having more money, just more money, it would solve my problem of going paycheck to paycheck. If I just had more money, it would cause me to be more secure. If I just had more money, I could buy the bigger, better, nicer thing. I could actually give money to my church. I could give money to people that are in need. If only I had more, that would solve all my problems. Here's the reality of these stations. No matter what number is in your bank account, you could still be in any one of these stations. Yeah, could you have hardly any money and still be in surplus? It's possible. Could you have a ton of money and be struggling? Absolutely. 
The answer is not more money. The answer is what do I do with the money that I have? And so God provides us biblical principles for managing our money, which will allow us to be in the station that he wants us to be in. And no matter how much God gives you, if you handle it correctly, you will be able to be rich. So there are two lists that I'm going to give you, and we're going to cover these over the next four weeks, so we're not, not going to go into them now for sake of time. But these four lists, one by Ron Blue with Master Your Money, and the other by Dave Ramsey, who gives another great resource called Total Money Makeover, uh, these lists are written to help guide us. And here's what both of these authors say. If you just follow these principles, you will build wealth. If you just follow these principles... You will build wealth, and that is very true today in 2022 in America. Here's Ron Blue's five principles, five keys to mastering your money from, from the book, Mastering Your Money. You may have heard it said, master your money, don't let your money master you. Here, here's key number one, spend less than you earn. Now, this is a mind-blowing kind of principle, right? Spend less than you earn. Nobody said amen, but y'all should have. This is an incredibly important principle that you spend less than you earn. Because think of the alternative just for a moment. If you don't spend less than you earn, what are you doing? You're spending more than you earn. If you don't live within your means, you are living outside of your means. This one principle may be, of all the principles, the key that unlocks the rest for us. If you don't have it, don't spend it. That falls under this principle. So he says, and we'll unpack this, spend less than you earn. Number two, avoid the use of debt. Some people want to argue about that. We want to talk about different ways that's going to matter. Uh, that's something you want to avoid. It doesn't say never be in debt, but it says avoid. Avoid the use of debt. Falls quickly under, spend less than you earn. Uh, save to build margin. I love, financially speaking, the word margin. Margin means you have borders, you have barriers, you have protection. And that you, you have built into your life margin through the activity of saving. Set long-term financial goals. Where do you want to be next year, five years from now, ten years from now? What do you want for your kids in the next generation and your grandkids in the generation after that? Give generously. Give generously. All right, so that's Ron Blue. That's one person who looked at God's word. He came up with five principles. Ron Blue was sitting in front of the Congress, and he was getting, uh, he was getting questioned by senators on a financial panel uh, for all to see in the 90s. And the panel said to Ron Blue, they said, Ron Blue, what advice would you give people out there? And he just kind of off the cuff gave these five principles. He said, spend less than you earn, avoid debt. Save to build margins, set long-term goals, give generously. And the senator said, wow, that's something that anybody could do in any financial station. And he said, yes, it works for any family at any level of wealth, and it also works for the government. He hasn't spoken at a panel since uh, that conversation. Now, Dave Ramsey puts his list, and again, you'll see some similarities here, hopefully, between the two as he invested in God's word, as he decided to kind of put it out for us to understand his five biblical steps to build wealth are number one, get on a budget. Man, that sounds familiar. Spend less than you earn. Have a plan. 
What's a budget? A budget is something that just is a plan that tells your money where to go. Your money doesn't tell you where to go. He said avoid the use of debt. If you know Ramsey, he's the get out of debt guy. Foster helpful quality relationships. You are financially the same as your 10 closest comrades. You rub off on each other. Proverbs says birds of a feather flock together. If you want to be successful financially, surround yourself with people who also want the same thing. Save and invest. Save and invest. Sounds like have a long-term plan, doesn't it? Set goals for the future. Have margin. Let your money work for you. And then give generously. Over the next four weeks, we're going to build our list. We're going to look first at God's word, and we're going to see what principles should guide us through our money management. And we'll come back to this, and we'll say, all right, are these biblical ideas? Are these practical? Are these doable? Now, I already have a problem with the two lists, and you're going to see this at the end of our talk this morning. So let's do a quick dive Uh, swim through the Old Testament. We're going to look today just at the Old Testament and the principles that the Old Testament has. Everything that we do at Branch Life comes out of the Word of God, and then we give you biblical principles and application for those things. So today, if you want to get a little bit of a head start, we're going to be in Deuteronomy chapter 15 for a little bit. We're going to be in Proverbs chapter 3 for a little bit, Uh, but we're really going to bounce all over the place. And we're going to start at the beginning, Genesis, and we're going to end at the very last prophetic book, Malachi. Now, the Bible is, as we mentioned, made up of 66 books. Out of those 66 books, and this might be a new thing for you, and this is a Bible study tip, there are 8 to 12 different genres. Now, what's a genre? That's a great question. Ask Google, it'll explain it to you really well. A genre is the type of literature. Whenever you are reading or studying a book, you want to know what type of literature you're reading because a poem is a very different type of literature than a law book, which is very different than a history book, which is very different than a love letter, which is very different than a biography. And all of those genres are found in the Bible. In the Old Testament, the main genres that are there are the law books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the history books, the books that tell us the story of time, the kings, the chronicles, all those kinds of things, the the wisdom books, which have our poetry and our songs and our proverbs in them, and then the minor and major prophecies talking about the future. Within all of those, there's little, there's narratives and there's stories and there's history and there's law and there's all poems all mixed together. It's very important that you know what you're reading when you're reading it. It helps you understand what it means. That's just a bonus. Now, let's look at the first genre and kind of summarize what the Old Testament has to say about money in the law books. This is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. These are the books that kind of gave the marching orders. For life, It gives us the Ten Commandments, for example. And if we were going to look at the Ten Commandments, we would see some commands for money. But there's, there's something that happens in, in the law books that keeps coming up, and we kind of want to highlight this as our first kind of keystone passage and our first principle. There's eight ideas that are going to come from the Old Testament today. And the first idea is simply this. Never forget where wealth comes from. 
Never forget where wealth comes from. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, it says this, you shall or you will remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. This is a law. This is a command. This is coming out of God's instructions. And here's what he's saying. I command you to never forget where wealth comes from. What a foundation. In the law and money, he's basically saying, have no other gods before me. This is the first and greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Everything, everything starts with God. And we can never forget that wealth comes from God. Whenever you get a paycheck, where does that come from? God. Whenever you get a gift, where does that come from? God. Whenever you win the lottery, where does that come from? God, right? Like, your wealth comes from God. And some of you are going to argue, you're going to be like, no, 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 no. It, it comes from me working hard. You just forgot the first commandment. Everything, every breath, every talent, every good and perfect gift comes from God. God is the one who gives wealth. We've got to hold on to that. Now, if you have your Bibles, go to Deuteronomy chapter 15, excuse me, chapter 5. Deuteronomy chapter 5. Right at the very, very beginning of the Old Testament, we get into the law and, and everything that's being commanded to us. And in Deuteronomy chapter 5, we have the story of the Ten Commandments. This is where Jesus goes, or Jesus, this is where Moses goes up on the mountain. He meets with God, and God says, like Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 6, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. In other words, I am changing your station. You were slaves, and now you're free. You're free to get a job. You're free to live in America in 2022. You're free to move to Canada. You're free to be an engineer. You're free to be a, a pastor. You're free to be a plumber. Whatever it is, I, God, am giving you that freedom, right, in chapter 6. Now, I'm going to give you some instructions for your free living, and we've come to call these the Ten Commandments. And what's powerful about the Ten Commandments, even compared to all the other law the laws given in this section of scripture is the Ten Commandments are also repeated in the New Testament. And so he, he gives Moses, gives, God gives Moses these Ten Commandments. Number uh, verse 7, you shall have no other gods before me. Verse 8, you shall not make for yourselves a carved image of any likeness of anything that's in heaven above or on earth below or in the water that's in the earth. You should not bow down to them. You shall not serve them. For the Lord your God am a jealous God, visiting iniquity on the fathers and on children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but shows steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my what? Commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will hold him, not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy. As the Lord your God commanded, six days you'll labor and do all your work. But on the seventh, it's Sabbath. It's to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, nor your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your ox, your donkey, or any of your livestock, or the stranger who is in your gates. Or your male servant or your female servant may rest as well as you do. You shall remember that you were a slave in the lands of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out, and the wealth and the mighty hand is stretched. Therefore, Lord your God commands you to keep the Sabbath day. Theologically, there is some shifts here in the New Testament with that one commandment. Verse 16, honor your father and mother, 
as the Lord commanded, that your day may be long, your days may be long and it will go well with you in the Lord. Your God has given you, verse 17, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, you shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, his male servant, his, or his female servant, his ox or his donkey, or anything that is your, is your neighbor's. In these Ten Commandments, we see the first guiding commandment, have no other gods before me, so we say never forget where wealth comes from. Don't make any graven images. Don't put our stuff before God and worship it and serve it. Never forget where your wealth comes from. But yet, in the second half of the Ten Commandments, he gives us two very specific commandments about wealth. He says, you shall not steal and you shall not covet. You shall not. In other words, don't take it or even want what God gives to others. If it's not yours, don't touch it. Hands off. Stealing is bad, and coveting is bad. Be content with what God gives you. Don't be jealous with what God gives others. What a powerful principle to remember and understand. Again, we're going to come at it two ways. If it's not yours, God didn't give it to you. So don't take it. And if it's somebody else's, God gave it to them, so don't want it. We have to always remember what we shouldn't do with money, and it shouldn't be something that causes us to cross lines and to break commands simply out of greed or covetousness. The third thing that comes out of the law is love me. Does he love me or does he love me not? In Leviticus chapter 19, it says, you shall have no other gods before me, or Deuteronomy 5, 7, and then Leviticus 19, it says, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus would highlight these two commands as the greatest two commands in the Bible. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. And on these does all the commandments in the Bible rest. Anything that you can think of about money falls under these two commandments. So here's the bottom line. Love God. Love your neighbor. Don't love money. Don't love the money that God gives you. Our mission in life is to take whatever God supplies to help us meet the, the, the heart obligation of loving God and loving others. So my money is there not to be loved, but to help me to love God and to love other people. That's what God says in the law. Now as we jump to the wisdom books, and these are some of my favorite books in the Bible, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, the book of Job, we see how God then instructs us to use the money that he gives us after he gives us the foundation in the commands. And in the Old Testament, in the wisdom books, we see from the richest man in the world, Solomon, who was the richest man in the world, he gives us advice again and again and again and again and again. Don't ever love wealth, it will never be enough. Don't ever love wealth because it'll never be enough. Ecclesiastes 5.10, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. In the law, Jesus says, I'm just going to tell you, don't love money. And in wisdom, Solomon unpacks for us why we shouldn't love money. Why? It's never enough. It's never enough. Never enough. Right? Greatest showman. Watch it today. This song would be perfect. I asked the worship team to do it. They said no. You, and I, listen, $18,000 a year, coming out of college, right? 
Mind-blowing. That's incredible. That's amazing. I get to do ministry, and they're going to give me money? Man, that's awesome. Not enough. Not enough. No, i got to have a little bit more. Yeah, maybe I'll have a little bit more, so I'll, I'll change jobs. I'll change ministries, and they're going to give me a little bit more. And then it'll be enough, and I did. I got more, but not enough. I got bills to pay. I got kids on the way. I want the nicer car. I got to find something else or maybe ask for a raise. And so if I get a raise, then that'll be enough. But there I stand with the raise and it's still not enough. And we constantly can get on this incredibly easy, slippery slope to say, if I just had a little bit more, then that'll be enough. If I just had a little bit more, then that'll be enough. If I just had a little bit more, then that'll be enough. Why are the richest people in the world not satisfied with the amount of money that they have? Because the love of money will never be enough. It's always going to allure you to want more. So be very, very, very deliberate in your mind and your spirit and your actions to not fall in love with money or the things that money provides for you. That's wise from the richest man in the world. Wisdom then from, from the richest man in the world goes on with Proverbs chapter 3. He says this, honor the Lord with your wealth and with your first fruits of all your produce. So number five is this, first things first, trust God. Trust God enough to bring him, to give him money first. Now, if you have your Bibles, Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3 is one of those kind of famous passages in the Bible. For many of us, it is our life verse. Proverbs chapter 3 uh, holds this powerful statement about trusting God. Verse, chapter 3, verse 1 my son, this is Solomon talking to his son, do not forget my teachings and let my heart, my commandments lengthen your days and your years of life. Peace they will add to you. Proverbs chapter three, verse three. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck so you will find favor with good success in the sight of God and man. Here it is. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. It will bring healing and flesh and refreshment to your bones. Verse 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. In this massive passage where it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, we all quote that. We often don't keep going down to the application where it says that includes money. You've got to trust God with your money. And God then provides. If you trust God enough with your money, then you will give to him first. It will be the first thing that you do. It will be your first fruits. Now, the Old Testament teaches us a lot about first fruits. It starts back in the book of Genesis with two characters named Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel were two sons. They were two brothers, and they were the first two brothers of Adam and Eve, first two kids of Adam and Eve, and they did their thing. Cain was a farmer. He dealt with animals. Abel, excuse me, uh, Abel was a, uh, tilled the ground. He grew cops. Cain dealt with animals. I, I switched that around. Cain did the crops. Abel brought up the animals. Cain was great at growing the corn and the pineapple and all the other stuff. And he brought an offering to God. Abel brought an offering to God from the animals. And they both presented their offering to God. 
God was pleased with Abel's offering of animals, but he was displeased with Cain's offering of produce, of, of corn, of stuff that he grew from the field. And the theologians tell us why. Cain brought his excess. He brought his leftovers. He brought the stuff that he wasn't really going to use. Abel brought the firstborn. He brought the precious. He brought the the first that was available, and they presented it to God. God was pleased with Abel's first fruit of the produce. He was displeased with Cain. Cain then was so upset with God's displeasure that he murdered Abel, and we have the split that takes place in Genesis, the first crime. God says over and over again, bring your first fruits, bring your first fruits, bring your first fruits. God implements in the Old Testament a a teaching called tithing. Tithing is an Old Testament idea, let me be clear. And most people understand that the 10% in, in, in that's usually referenced in tithing is only talking about some of what was required by God's people in the Old Testament. If you take all the tithing requirements from all the festivals and you stack them all together, it's over 23% of the income that the Israelites automatically gave to God through tithe. God doesn't hold us to that same standard today, but the principle of first fruits still applies. And many people say, hey, that tithe idea, that's just a place to start today. But God is saying in in this, how much do you trust God? How much do you trust God? That's the question. Now, do you trust him enough to give to him first? Do you trust him enough to give to him generously? Do you trust him enough to, to say, God, I'm going to recognize that you're the one who brings wealth into my life? Hey, there's many ways to give to God. There's many ways to give to God. Giving to the church is just one way. I'm not up here today telling you to give more to Branch Life Church. We're doing great. God is blessing. But I am telling you to give to God first. Now, the sixth principle from the most righteous man in the world, from Job, says this. Use wealth to help others and don't put any security in it. In other words, Job, the most righteous man in the world, says, err on the side of generosity even over security. Every financial planner just went, oh, we just wait. Job was sick because of what he was going through, physically ill. His kids had died. He had lost all of his income. He had lost his entire business. He was attacked on every front. We know the story of Job. And he was attacked because he was righteous. Satan attacked him. And Job is hearing processing what's going on and in Job chapter 31 we see that Job says God I have been using my wealth to help the poor I've been using my wealth to give to the needy I've been using my wealth to make my community better and and on top of that God I have not put any of my faith and my trust and my security in my wealth I have done those two things if I wasn't doing that I'd understand why I would be persecuted and judged but that's how I live and God called that righteous Err on the side of generosity, even over security. Now, where this comes up is you're, you're sitting there and you're feeling tugged by God to give. But on the, on, the, on the other hand, you're like, but I could really use that to get ahead or pay that bill or buy that newer car or do that newer thing. And if I had that, then I would really be on good foot to do more. 
And then we don't give because we want to invest in our security. And what God is saying, whenever you're feeling that tug, whenever you're just not sure which way to go, err on the side of generosity. Err on the side of generosity. You'll be surprised in your spirit how often that comes up and how helpful it can be when you're trying to listen to the Holy Spirit. And it informs our last two principles that come from the Proverbs. This is Isaiah through Malachi. And the prophets, excuse me, are telling us what to do with money. And this first one is massively important because it tells us what money can't do. Have you ever thought about what money can't do? Money can't make your marriage better. Money can't make you happier. Money can't make you more fulfilled. Money can't make you richer. Money also can't get you into heaven. In Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 18, it says, Neither their silver nor their gold will be able to deliver them on the day of God's wrath. No one can buy their way into heaven. This comes up over and over and over again in the prophets. God's judgment cannot be bribed away. And and at first, those of us who are following Jesus, we go, amen, I can't buy my way into heaven, but you You have to know that there are millions and millions and millions and millions of people that think that they can. They think that they can pay money to church institutions to help their dead relatives move into heaven. They think that they can give to to make God have favor on them and that giving to God will somehow cause God to please them and change the scales of justice in their favor. There is nothing you can give God that will buy you access into heaven. If you were to stand before God today in front of the pearly gates, right, and he was gonna say, why should I let you in? He's not gonna, you're you're not gonna go, well, I'll tell you what, God, I I got a Lincoln and a Jackson no, 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 two Jacksons? Just tell me how much you want. No, sorry, it's not enough. I'll give you any amount of money. I'll give you $5 million. I'll give you $2 million. I'll give you whatever you want. How much would you pay to get to heaven? I remember I was talking on the phone to a guy uh, a few years ago, and, and a few years ago I weighed about 70 pounds heavier than I do now. And I was really struggling with my weight, and I was really struggling with wanting to lose weight. And the guy on the phone was trying to sell me a plan, he goes, if I could guarantee you would lose 60 pounds in three months, how much, how much would you pay? I was like, guaranteed? He's like, guaranteed. I'm like, you name your price. In that moment, I would have paid it. If you could guarantee it. If you could tell me it was absolutely going to happen. And if God would say to you, hey, you want to guarantee into heaven, how much, how much are you willing to pay? And if it was that easy, man, we would all just say, all right, I'll give God the money, and then I'll go in, and that is not how heaven works. For by grace you are saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. You cannot buy your way into heaven. The only way to go to heaven is to realize that there is nothing that you can do to gain God's favor. You see, righteous men, righteous men know that they're sinful, and that sinful people are, are the only ones that allow, are allowed into heaven. Sinful people think that they're righteous and they're trying to be earn their way into heaven. But God has established heaven to be a place that only those who are poor in spirit can go to. God, I can't save myself. I'm trusting in you alone to save me. No dollar erases any sin. It never happens. That sin is only erased by the blood of Jesus. So have you put your faith and trust in Jesus? Have you said, God, I'm sorry for my sins. I believe you died on the cross for me. And I want to accept the free gift of salvation. If that's you today, we want to encourage you to go to the gospel tab or let us know that you'd like to have that conversation 
after the service. But today could be the day of your salvation. You don't have to pay for it. It's free. God's already paid for it. And he's asking you to come to him. And finally, the last point that we'll make today is in Jeremiah chapter 22, in the, in the prophets, it says, avoid the consumption assumption. It says, use your wealth to care for others. In Jeremiah 22, it says, he determined, and that was the king, he determined to help the poor and the needy. And so, and so all went well. Here's the question from the prophet. Is that not what it means to know God, declares the Lord? What is the purpose of wealth? What is the purpose of money? Not to give you fulfillment. Not to get you a nicer car. Not to get you a bigger house. Not to get, make your dreams come true. The purpose of wealth and money is to help care for others. The problem is we have the consumption assumption. I think Andy Stanley phrased this phrase, the, the consumption assumption. Here's, here's the consumption assumption. If I give you $500, your assumption is it's for you. That means it's for you to spend. That means it's for you to invest. That means it's for you to budget. That means it's for you to do something with. That, that money was somehow intended for you. And we assume automatically that the money God gives us is for our consumption. Don't ever make that assumption. God often gives you money for others. He's often offering you the opportunity to be a blessing, to be a giver, to be generous. And so when I look at the foundation of the Old Testament, the purpose of money, love God, don't love money. Make sure that you are looking out for the needs of the poor and the needy coming all over. Money can't buy my way into heaven. It's, it's never going to be enough. God is the one who gives wealth. When I look at all of these principles, if I was going to boil that down into kind of one guiding foundational financial principle, this would be the principle for me from the Old Testament, radical generosity. In other words... Don't assume the money God gives you is for you. Now, in order for this to be true in your life, you have to believe a few things. Number one, you have to believe that it's God who gives you money. You have to be convinced of it. Number two, you have to believe that in order for you to give the money away to someone else, that you are committed to generosity, that you're committed to helping the poor, that you're committing to meeting the needs of those around you. You have to then assume that God will take care of you no matter what you do with the money he gives. Because he provides it anyway. And if your heart is not in love with money, if you trust God enough to care for you, if you know God is giving you money to help other people, then this automatically will be a principle that guides your life. When God gives you money, he's often giving it to you for someone so what's my problem with Mr. Blue and Mr. Ramsey's list? I would take generosity from the bottom and I would put it on the top. I would make it the first thing that I think about when it comes to money. Because God gives, God is the one who sustains. And God then asks us to give radically, generously to those around us. So what are you doing with the money that God gives you? If God would give you $500 today, what would you do with it? Does the discussion today influence that at all? Why don't you play that out with your family over dinner? All right, guys, we got $500. What should we do with it? And just have a discussion. Have a debate. 
talk about it, take these principles and put them into practice and just wrestle with this and see if this can't help us as we build our basics for, for financial freedom and how to be really, really rich in the weeks ahead. We like you to take a moment before you leave to fill out this connection card. On that card, you can ask a question. You can give us a prayer request. I would encourage you to let us know what station you're on. Are you struggling? Are you secure? Are you in surplus? And we will pray over that for you. And if you have a question based on that, we will try to answer these questions as they come in during the course of this. If today you understood salvation or you have any questions about salvation, please put it on the card. And as, as uh, Pastor Scott said, if you're interested in joining a group, that can be on the card as well. We have several people that are interested in getting baptized. So we're setting up a baptism in the next few weeks, in the next month. If you'd like to be a part of that, let us know on the card. As well as Mother's Day is coming up. We're planning to do some children dedication. Uh, we'd love to include your kids in that. You can put that on the card as well. Let's cover uh, our time together in prayer. Close our time together in prayer. God, as we've talked about money today, and particularly from the lens of the Old Testament, Lord, would you implant into us the principles from God's word that will guide our decisions in money. We thank you for the blessings. We thank you for God, how you care for us. And God, we, we love you, and we pray that the money that you give us would prove that. God, that the money that you give us would be for loving you and for loving others. Help us to be responsible. Help us to be radically generous, God, and help us, Lord, to find our security in you. Thank you for these next few weeks that we'll be having these discussions. God, I pray that you would bless it and that it would be helpful to all of us. In your precious name we pray. Amen. We know that money can be a big stressor, but it doesn't have to be when you handle it God's way. Hey, thanks for joining us, and we hope that you'll continue to connect with us virtually or in person. And check out the rest of the series at our YouTube channel or at our website at branchlife.church. While you're there, don't forget to fill out your connection card. And if this has been an encouragement to you in any way, would you take a moment to like, share, or subscribe? It would be awesome if you would help us spread the word. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you next time.